You're listening to Two Girls, One Crossword. Listeners, if you notice that I sound particularly unpopped today with my peas, it's because I am using a fancy new screen in front of my mic and I cannot be stopped. So she's got a pop filter, everybody. I do not. So my peas are going to come through like that. <laughs> so we got a popper and a non-popper. Um, one day you'll get a pop filter. I truly believe that for you. Thank you. I need someone to believe in me because it's a full-time job. And I already have a full-time job, so I can't take anything else on right now, actually. So That's fair. Well, um, for the popped and unpopped, we are <laughs> the Good Evening Girls, and this is Two Girls for One Crossword. And I'm Chelsea Rowan. And I'm Grace Topenka, and this is your favorite weekly Podward Crosscast. Ooh, with your two favorite weekly Podward Cross hosts. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I swear say- to God, though, if you have any favorite hosts that aren't us, then that's fine. Uh, Grace says it's fine. You, I say we're on thin ice. <laughs> thin ice. You could take um, it up with Chelsea. Please do. Actually, write to me on, I don't know, TikTok or Twitter or Comment something. on her live journal. <laughs> now that we've got that settled, should we go into our... Um, Polapalooza. Oh, we had a really good poll this week, and I had a really difficult time picking my own answer. And I don't know if I'm sold yet, so I would love to hear what our listeners have to say, and I would love to hear what you have to say because maybe I can be swayed one way or the other. Well, I had a hard time choosing two. I even had a hard time picking the four possible choices because well, the question was: we all know there's a lot of witch rep- misrepresentation in media. That being said, whose millennial witch coven would you join? And yes, there was a typo, but once I put it out, I can't fix it. So. We all knew what it meant. Yes. Um, But the reason why I did Millennial Witch Coven was because there are so many witches in media. I was like, okay, I'm going to do just from like late 90s, early 2000s. So we had Twitches. Shout out T and Tamara. Mm -hmm. The Spellmans. Sabrina and her aunts. The -hmm. Sanderson sisters from Hocus Pocus. And then the Craft Girlies from The Craft. So... Um, Go ahead. Tell us the results. I have to say that the Spellmans won by a mile with 57%. Wow. And as someone who just finished watching the entire series from the 90s, I don't blame them, except for the last two seasons are so bad. Sabrina is like the worst witch ever because she doesn't want to use her magic to prove a point or something that she doesn't need it. I'm like, if I was a witch in college... Are you kidding? Yeah. I, I don't know. The first like four seasons, though amazing television still hold up highly recommend Mm -hmm. so the spellman's won in second place with 15 percent we had the craft girlies and then tied for last at 14 percent close behind uh were twitches and the sanderson sisters okay i feel like well first of all i have to admit i've never seen the craft Mm -hmm. so have you i have yes is it something i should watch yes then maybe we should watch that because i can't truly say whether or not i would be the craft or whatever else um i don't think i would pick the spellmans just because i haven't seen the 90s version in a very long time mm-hmm. uh the only spellman coven that i'm familiar with right now is the you know gen z one yes um the new netflix series which is good would recommend if you like it um and I honestly think, personality-wise, I'd probably be with the Sanderson sisters, just because 
I could see that's that my you. personality. And that's a compliment <laughs> in Thank the you. best way possible. <laughs> and I, I didn't want to say the Sanderson sisters because I feel like, you know, they're evil, whatever. But at the same time, like, they definitely have so much fun. And mm-hmm. whatever. They're kind of jaded, like, as I think all witches should be a little bit. Um, so that's that's me. That's me in a nutshell. Me in a witch coven. <laughs> well, I chose The Craft because I love that movie, even though, you know, they're basically frenemies. Well, I don't want to give anything away, but I just like their vibe the most. Mm. Um, but honestly, if I grew up in a house with like my two witch aunts and my talking cat, I would be the happiest person in the world. Right. No offense to my family um, and my pets that don't talk, but you know. All offense to them. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Great poll this week. Great poll. And if Thank you're you. interested in participating in our polls, head over to our Twitter. You can follow us at the Good Eve Girls. We post one poll a week, and we read the results live on air. You don't want to miss it. You do not. So that brings us to our next official section, everyone. Section, <laughs> if you will. Whoa. <laughs> Ooh, I have to spicy. write this explicit. <laughs> oh, God. Um, hits and shits. Yes, we curse on this podcast. S-H star T. Okay. <laughs> If you're watching this with your listening to this with your children, I feel bad for your children that you're making them <laughs> listen to this. Oh, I'll start us off with a, a hit. Okay, start us. The ACPT happened. So mm-hmm. if you're new here and you don't know what the ACPT is, it's the American Crossword Puzzle Tournament. It has been around since 1973. It's held annually. The only year I don't think it was held was 2020 because <laughs> nothing was held in 2020. Uh, anyway, it's hosted by none other than Will Shorts, the editor of the New York Times Crossword. It took place on the 23rd, between the 23rd and the 25th. And the champion this year is a constructor that you've seen. If you do the crosswords, you've seen their name show up in many New York Times crosswords. It is Tyler Hinman. So congrats to Tyler. Um, I'm not actually sure how scoring works because I was looking at the like score card and it s- seemed like Eric Agard got a higher score than Tyler, hmm. but Tyler finished the final puzzle eight seconds before Eric did. And I think that's probably why he won. But wow. if you do crossword tournaments, and I sound like an idiot, please write to me. Let me know. And I will correct myself next week on Corrections Corner. Um, but I just think it's amazing that Tyler won by eight seconds. And I think he completed the puzzle in like three minutes or something crazy. Like, are you kidding me? Y'all are nuts. This is Y'all why are I am so talented. Scared. I mean, I know that's like the best of the best, but I'm not anywhere near that. Right. Well, I was looking at how they do their like their scorecard and they count how many letters you get wrong. Um, and I think there's like over a thousand people competing so there's that grace and then some people are getting zero letters wrong one two letters wrong and then there's people that are in like the 300s 400s getting so many letters wrong and i feel like okay fine yeah actually Haley, uh who we had last on last week did tell us that you know even for beginners and stuff it's still fun and you can do it non-competitively right maybe we'll do it under an alias and then we could like run a competition if you can guess our alias then we'll send you like a virtual high five. I don't know. Shill warts. <laughs> Will Short's brother, Billiam. <laughs> Bill Shorts. <laughs> See you next year at a- ACPT. <laughs> what else we got? What do you got? Give me a hit. Give me a shit. 
Give it well, to I me. Well, I really enjoyed the Monday New York Times crossword by Eric and Lori Bornstein, first of all. Yes. Duo crossword. We love it. Same last name. Siblings. Married. Cousins. Cousins. Neighbors just that just to- happen to have the same last name. Let I feel know. like if you happen to have the same last name, would you say by Eric and Lori Bornstein? Or would you give, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> that is a great question. I was just thinking about it. Because I had my locker mate in high school had the same last name as me. His last name was Rowan. Mm-hmm. And on the first day of school, I was like, oh, my God, that's so funny. Like, we have the same last name. And he was so rude to me. And he never talked to me the whole time we were in high school together. That's maybe he was scared of you. He should have been for sure. But mm-hmm. I was super nice. I was like, oh, my God, that's so funny. My last name is Rowan. And he, like, looked at me and is like, whatever. And I was like, okay, nice to meet you, too. Anyway, fun times. I would would love to meet someone with my same last name that I wasn't related to. But anyways, I really loved that puzzle. I I liked the theme of it a lot. The revealer was 35 down. Feature of many a mall or a place for 20 across, 26 and 30 down. And the answer was food court. So the other answers related were 20 across, figurative site of a 35 down, White Castle, um, 30 down figurative ruler of a 35 down was Burger King. And then 26 down figurative ruler of a 35 down was Dairy Queen. You love to see it. This was a lot of fun. It was right up our alley. Yeah. Once I, I figured out, I was like, oh, I love this. And then um, I also really liked 54 across nitpick literally. And the answer was D Louse. Oh, nice. Made me chuckle a bit. We love a chuckle on a Monday. We love to have a good chuckle once in a while when we're doing the puzzles. I feel like there's a lot of good themes this week in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked the Sunday theme from the New York Times, April 25th, Jeremy Newton puzzle. We've seen a puzzle like this recently, I think, in the Washington Post, where it's one of those they advise you to print it out type thing and i'm Mm -hmm. always horrible at describing what the themes are so i'm just gonna give it my all um the theme was the puzzle was titled stretching exercises and muscles appear in stacked double blocks throughout the puzzle so muscles that you might see throughout the puzzle would be like a peck or a glute or a trap okay And you just got to do the puzzle because it looks really cool once you're finished. But one of the reasons why I loved this theme so much is because some of the themed answers were so good. Did you do the Mm -hmm. Sunday? I didn't. I think you're going to like some of these. So let's start with 23. No, no, no. What's a good one? What's a good one? We'll do. So there's three across answers here that all relate to the theme and they're all connected to each other. You kind of have to do the puzzle. I'm shite at explaining. Go on somebody's crossword blog and look it up. 57 across with stand. The answer was abide. Okay. Um, 59 across like bread made from almond flour was gluten free. And then 61 across. Oh, hell yes. In quotes was abso-freaking-lutely. <laughs> so 57 across with stand, abide, ab. And the AB of ab was stopped Stacked on top of 61 across, oh, hell yes, abso-freaking-lutely. So ab was really big in the puzzle, and it fit for abide and abso-freaking-lutely. Oh, I see. 
And then, like bread made from almond flour was gluten-free, and glute from gluten-free was stacked on top of abso-freaking-glutely, <laughs> of abso-freaking-lutely. So that was a lot of fun. Um, and then another one, 71 Across. Grammy category won multiple times by Kendrick Lamar was best rap performance. 77 Across was racy selfie post for likes on social media in modern lingo. And the answer was thirst trap. And the muscle there was trap. So best rap. So trap from 71 Across was mm-hmm. stacked on top of thirst trap from 77 Across. Was it in the shape of a body? I don't believe it was. No. Well, well, can't I officially all, don't I like the theme anymore. So, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Very good job. Uh, also, shout out to 78 Across, beehive material. This tripped me up for a while, which it shouldn't have, because the answer was hair. Yeah, and that I, was a whole topic for you. Yes, and I talk about beehives in particular in episode 85, Things Are Getting Hairy. But that was just a fun one that kind of tripped me up, and I was like, oh, I just did this topic. Anyway, yes, good puzzle all around. Um, oh, speaking of themes that we've done. Yes. I, the Tuesday New York Times, April 27th puzzle, 66 across, dubious sightings in the Himalayas. I saw that. Yetis. Yetis. And that's from episode 85, Things Are Getting Hairy. So, you know, lots of representation for episode 85 this week. Thank you, constructors. To be fair, Yeti comes up a lot. It does. It's crossword ease, folks. Yeah. Uh, did you end up doing the Washington Post Sunday today? I did not end up doing it. I ended up doing the Thursday New York Times instead. Okay. Um, the Washington Post Sunday theme was was interesting. It was like websites, mm. but switched around. For example, 23 Across, enumerate people like, or enumerate people like comedians Kilborn, Ferguson, Robinson, Robinson, etc. Those are all comedians named Craig. And it was list Craig's. So Craigslist. Oh, Okay. 39 Across was where you can major in funny business. I thought it was going to be clown college. It was humor college. And then college humor is a website. Nice. Um, and then 114 Across, Thunder, EG, question mark, is cloud sound, sound cloud. Nice. So there's a lot of themed answers in this one. Oh, and the title was called E-Trade. But some others that I liked from this clue that weren't theme-related were Five Across, completely lost unless you're a pirate, and if so, carry on. And that one was <laughs> at sea, which is crosswordies, too. I just enjoyed the cluing. And then yes. another crosswordies that I enjoyed the cluing was 27 Across, retort that one might imagine C-3PO saying as a young droid on the playground, R2. Very nice. Very nice. I love when you see crossword is clued in interesting ways it, it kind of makes up for the fact that you're just like you have to have the certain fill you know yeah makes it fun for the solver okay because then you can have this like meta laugh you're like ah, ha, ha, they have to have this in here and i'm gonna laugh because you did a really good job cluing it you know mm-hmm. anyway very good um let's see let's see i have one okay the new york times wednesday april 28th by hal moore 33 okay. down, the spirit of Russia, question mark. Vodka. vodka. Love it. And then 28 down, where the balcony scene takes place in West Side Story, Firescape. Yes. I don't know why. Uh, that clue just made me happy. It made me happy, too. I love West Side Story. Mm-hmm. I haven't watched it in a long time, though. I would like to watch it again. 
Not to flex, but my mom did meet Rita Moreno. Okay, that is a big flex. So, yeah. And she took a pic. It was like for, because my mom worked in PR and she was like a spokesperson for something they did in Miami and they took a picture together and then my grandparents had it like hung up on the back of their (laughs) front door, like the door in from the garage. I love that. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) Is she Cuban? I think she is. She's an EGOT winner. She is an EGOT winner. Gotta love her. Actually, I don't know if she's Cuban or... Hold on, hold on. All right. Well, while you're looking that up, I'm going to talk about the Saturday New York Times crossword. Um, oh, what? She's Puerto Rican. Okay. Puerto I Rican. I know that because that's West Side Story. Right, right, right. Well, just because that's West Side Story doesn't mean they would have cast a Puerto Rican person. That is true. Movies don't always do that, but... They don't. Okay. But um, alas, okay. Rita Moreno, EGOT winner, Puerto Rican, hung in Grace's parent grandparents... Uh, garage for a long time. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> a picture of her. A picture of her, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, what were you saying? Uh, the Saturday, New York Times, April 24th by Chris- Christian House and Mike Dawkins. Uh, I learned something. I thought it was interesting. 16 across, word that comes from the Dutch for soothsayer and, despite appearances, has no relation to a unit of measurement. And the answer was Wiseacre. I thought that was a really interesting clue. I love learning weird little tidbits of information. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, in English, we use Wiseacre to mean a person who has, like, wisdom or knowledge. But mm-hmm. it's kind of more like a know-it-all, you know? Um, and then also, I wanted to ask you, I have zero, I have like, okay, I'm not going to say I have zero knowledge of One Direction. I have very little knowledge of One Direction. Maybe you have more information on this than I do. Mm. 19 across, singer who rose to fame on the X Factor. And the answer was Harry Styles, which I love to see Harry Styles in a puzzle. But I thought the One Direction's boys were all on X Factor together. They were, but they all, they didn't audition to, okay, I don't know. I hope the One Directioners don't come after me, but I believe they all auditioned separately and then Simon Cowell put them all together in a group. Ah, okay, okay, okay. For some reason, I thought they all auditioned together, but maybe that was for, I saw something else. I don't know. Um, okay, cool. Good for Harry then. Very well. Kudos to Harry. Shall we um, <laughs> flip our coin? I'm ready to flip the coin if you're ready to flip the coin. Oh, I'm ready. All right. I'm flipping the coin now. Mm, It's Tails. Me? Little me? All right. She's back on her bullshit, folks. So my clue comes from the Monday USA Today crossword by Huang Kim Vu, and it's 52 across, home to some alligators in New York legend. The The sewer? Sewer system. What a great answer and what a great clue. Yes. Did you know about this since you're from Joyzy? Um, I don't think I knew. A, I mean, I think, no, I would just say no. But I think I knew that there are legends in mm-hmm. New York about weird animals living down in the sewer systems. I mean, like we've all seen that Hey Arnold episode with the rat man, right? You the know? rat king. The, the rat, rat king, king is real and not a legend. But <clears throat> is it real? I don't know. I think Don't it say is. things like that because okay. I will believe you. <laughs> So the legend has it that there are giant, sometimes all white, like albino alligators that live in the sewers of New York City. These alligators may or may not have albinism, but the legend is they live in the sewers of New York City. And um, 
I'm going to go into that a little bit and all of my information, well, most of it comes from an article in the New York Times called The Truth About Alligators in the Sewers of New York by Corey Kilgannon. So is there any truth behind this myth? It goes all the way back to 1907. In the New York Times itself, there is an article which describes a worker in Kearney, a New Jersey town. I don't know if you heard about it. It's 12 miles from Midtown Manhattan. So and no, the article says <laughs> that this worker was bitten by a small gator while he was cleaning out a sewer. Okay. And then a quote from the article, quote, it was later learned that the alligator had escaped a week ago from freeholder John W. Roach and who welcomes its return with many thanks. So... An okay. alligator on the loose in the sewer. All right. But weird gator sightings kept happening. In 1932, there's an article that talks about an alligator hunt in the Bronx River, which was mobilized after two boys brought in a three-foot dead alligator and claimed that the Bronx River was swarming with live ones. Oh, my God. So I know. So the police officers filled nets with cow liver, and they started combing the jungles of the Bronx River to capture these alligators and supposedly give them to the Bronx Zoo. Um, But the hunt was eventually called off when the police realized the boys had just found another escaped pet and the Bronx River was not crawling with alligators. Mm. Mm -hmm. So why do all these people have pet alligators? Like, what is this? Basically, it was a fad at the time. It still is, you know, in certain circles today. But there are advertisements in 1930s magazines for baby alligators shipped by mail and i'm gonna read an actual excerpt from an ad in popular mechanics that is just (laughs) wild please quote how would you like a real live baby alligator for your very own a rage for baby alligator pets has swept the country we have arranged at great expense to supply you with a genuine live baby alligator just hatched in the deep marshlands of the south at an amazingly low price the corking little pets will be shipped to you by mail carefully packed safe arrival guaranteed think of the fun the thrills you will have with one of these baby alligators and it goes on and the price a dollar fifty that's not bad that's a great deal that's a pretty good deal um, supposedly in this time, people would also vacation to Florida and bring back baby alligators as souvenirs. Oh my god, people are wild. To be fair, baby alligators are really cute. A lot of animals are cute when they're babies, but then they're so deadly. Tiny. I think the cutest part about a baby alligator is that it's like it looks exactly the same as a full grown alligator, just tiny. You know, right. it's like that commercial with the tiny giraffe on a pillow. Like that's right. what a baby alligator looks like. Yes. But, you know, as time works, the baby alligators become adult alligators and people can't have them anymore. So they release them into the wild, into the New York City ecosystem, etc. What in the goddamn hell? I know. That happens all the time with a lot of different animals. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a huge issue in the Everglades and boa constrictors getting released in there. They're like messing up the entire ecosystem. That's another that's an issue for another day shout out to florida (laughs) but the biggest day in alligator sewer history is february 9th mark your calendar that is the official alligators in the sewers day by the way really yes but that is because on february 9th in 1935 east harlem teens spotted an alligator down a storm drain so they lassoed it up with a clothesline and they hauled it up and the alligator was eight feet long and 125 pounds and it started to snap at them, so they ended up killing it with their shovels, which, I mean, 
I feel bad for the alligator. I would probably do the same thing if an alligator was snapping at me. Right. I don't think I would ever lasso it up, though. No. Yeah, they shouldn't have done that. Um, But it's kind of no wonder that this became an urban legend. I mean, it was young boys in a working class neighborhood like East Harlem during the Great Depression. So it was like the talk of the town. Everyone was talking about the story. Newspaper articles speculated that the gator had escaped from a passing steamer in the East River and had swum into a sewer outflow pipe. They don't really know how it got there, but it was in the storm drain. Oh, my God. To add to the hoopla, in 1937, two years later, a barge captain pulled out a four-foot-eight alligator out of the East River, also by lassoing it. It's like, all these people can just lasso things. How do you even build a lasso? I don't know. I mean, he's on a barge, so I assume they have ropes around. I guess if you're, yeah, I mean, I guess people on ships know how to handle ropes. True. You know? But lassoing. I'm impressed. Anyways, he basically fished this alligator out of the East River. (laughs) And then a week later, a two-foot-long alligator was spotted crawling along a Brooklyn subway platform. This is getting out of hand. So can you imagine just being on the subway platform and then a two-foot-long alligator is pretty small. But still, that would be quite shocking. I'm shocked when I see a rat in the subway, okay? And, like, that happens once a week. And I'm still like, there's... An animal down there. Stay away from the third rail, etc. Yeah. Well, they think that this alligator was probably dumped in a trash can by a pet owner. Um, and two police officers were there and they wrestled the alligator and taped its mouth shut. It was like, what is going on in They're New like, York? all right, Jim, hop down there and let's wrestle it. This and is he's what like, we've been training for. All right, Phil, I got my duct tape. Let's get him. And everyone's like, betting and throwing money down yeah exactly yeah that would happen and it's like sorry i was late to work there was an alligator on the (laughs) track i'm gonna use that as my next excuse whenever i have to take the train again um so next up we have teddy may he gave more credence to the legend he was a new york city sewer official who initially didn't believe his crew when they reported seeing a big albino alligator and various other gator colonies in the sewers so he went down there to prove to everyone that the gators didn't exist But then he claims that he saw all the gators, and he ended up leading his men in a hunting expedition with rifles into the sewers to hunt them down. And I know this story sounds crazy, but it's corroborated in different, like, official articles. So Mayor Berger, who is a Pulitzer-winning reporter for The Times, wrote about this story. And then when um, Teddy May died in 1960, his obituary in the New York Times credited him with having, quote, led a squad of in clearing the sewers of a number of live alligators that discarded in the sewers as tiny pets had survived and grown large. End quote. So what in the gut? What's happening in New York? It was written down. Um, But by the 1950s, the whole mail order gator and sewer gator had found themselves in pop culture from leave it to beaver comic books etc etc in 1980 the horror comedy alligator came out which told the story of a baby alligator that got flushed down the toilet in an unnamed city and later becomes a huge killer mutant gator after eating a bunch of discarded lab rats who had been fed like hormones growth hormones that checks out to me and makes sense checks out um in 1982 john t Flaherty was the New York City sewer chief, and he vehemently denied that there were any gators in the sewer system. He okay, said he's he like saw, a buzzkill. Yeah, he's like the biggest gator denier out there. So he claims he's seen rats, insects, stray fish, dead bodies, even street gang clubhouses, but no gators. 
Okay, so but where's the rat king? Huh? Where's the rat he's, king? He's seen rats down there, but no I'm gators. saying the rat king. The king oh, of he, rats. He won't talk about that. Oh. But that same year, in 1982, a two-foot alligator was found swimming in a Westchester County reservoir that's part of New York City's water supply. And it was captured and given to the Bronx Zoo. So basically, the Bronx Zoo has alligators because people are just finding them <laughs> around the city and giving it to the zoo. Oh, my God. Um, but this part is cute. So the city's Department of Environmental Protection, which oversees the sewer and drinking water system, created a mascot out of um, an alligator crawling out of a manhole, and it's wearing sunglasses. And then for years, the city sold t-shirts with the mascot and the caption, the legend lives, dot, 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 which I need to get my hands on a shirt like that. Pause. Pause. eBay. It's not coming up on Etsy. I mean, uh, eBay. But I'll do a deeper search at a later date. We may have to get them custom made. Ah. <clears throat> and maybe the most famous sewer gator of all is Leatherhead from the Ninja Turtles, who was also flushed down the toilet as a pet and then mutated, mm. mm-hmm. um, etc. But sightings have continued over the years. In 1997, a gator was found in a lake in Queens. In 2001, one was found in Central Park. In 2003, another one was found in a park in Queens. And then in 2010, a baby crocodile was spotted under a car in Astoria. So I don't know what the hell's going on in Queens and Astoria. Um, They got gators. They got gators. And if you're ever in New York and you happen to be at the 14th Street, 8th Avenue subway station, you may find a bronze sewer alligator sculpture that was made by Tom Otterness and it was installed in 2001 as part of his Life Underground public art series. So I love it. If you're ever wondering what that's about, um, it has other meanings to it as well, but it's about the gator, the sewer gators. It's always been about the gators. Mm hmm. So to this day, alligators are still being rescued, but most of the time they're just pets that have been released. There is no hard proof that they've ever existed or lived in the sewer system. Mm-hmm. Experts say that the New York sewers are too cold and toxic for gators to survive very long anyway. Mm-hmm. That's what the experts say. What do, do you the non-experts the experts? say? No. The experts say that they've like evolved I mean, gators have been around five ever. I think they could evolve to different living conditions. Gators are dinosaurs, okay? Yeah. Like, literally. They survived what dinosaurs didn't survive. Okay? I don't know. I believe Teddy Mays and his group that he brought down there with rifles. I'm, I'm down for Teddy. Teddy Mays, man. Yeah. Teddy Mays from air. <laughs> he's dead. Um, uh, also, he was alive. Like, Prove know. it. I bet you he's down there in the sewers with the alligators. Maybe. He's the alligator king. Oh! <gasps> Oh, I love that. I love the progression. Let's write a fanfic. <laughs> Done. Coming to to a, a a fanfic site near you. Um, I want to talk about some other urban legends. Mm-hmm. So this is another one that's New York related that I had heard and maybe embarrassingly didn't realize that it's not true. So there's a legend that if you drop a penny from the Empire State Building and it hits someone in the head, it would kill them because it gained so much speed on the way down. Mm-hmm. Uh, physics says that that is not true. The penny is too light. It's only one gram. It would does not care enough weight to ever collect enough speed to kill someone. Boring. But if you did a, a roll of pennies, then you're Gucci. Ah, uh, That's okay. a different story. Okay. But I'm going to talk about some urban legends in other cities, and uh, some of them are kind of creepy, so sorry about that. But mm. these are from insider.com. Okay. So let's jump over the pond twice, I guess, to get to Sydney, Australia. Yes. Um, the famous Sydney Harbor Bridge. You've definitely seen it if you've if you've looked at like you know the uh, what's it called, the Opera House. 
Yes, but it's behind the Opera House. Oh my gosh. You've definitely seen it if you've ever looked at the Sydney skyline. It's the bridge, you know, behind the Opera House. <laughs> yeah. Um, but legend has it that this bridge is a tomb for three workers who are buried inside. Oh. So officially, 16 people died during the construction of the bridge. But legend has it that three more men died and fell into the brick pylons of the bridge. But since they were migrant workers and labor laws weren't that strict at the time, their disappearance wasn't noticed for weeks. And by the time they did realize they were gone, retrieving the bodies would have been too difficult. So they were entombed there for eternity. Oh, no. That's like the, the boys in the tower in London. Yeah. Um, back to the U.S. now. Okay. Hell's Gate Bridge in Alabama. Mm-hmm. Alabama. So... There's a legend that starts in the 1950s when a young couple was driving over a bridge and they somehow drove the car off the bridge and they um, drowned and died. So there are two legends. One, if you drive your car out to the middle of the bridge and turn off the lights, the couple will magically appear in your car and leave a wet spot on the seat. Ew, I hate it. Yeah. Legend two is that if you drive over the bridge and look over your shoulder halfway through, the scenery behind you turns into a portal to hell engulfed in flames. Hence the name Hell's Gate Bridge. I love it. Let's go. But uh, suspiciously, Hell's Gate Bridge is closed to cars. And it is in such disrepair that walking across it is strongly discouraged. Ah, uh, So okay. it's not, they don't use it anymore. So mm. maybe the legend is true. Um, okay, next I'm going to talk about the Alaskan Triangle. Ooh. So you've probably heard of the Bermuda Triangle, mm-hmm. but what about the Alaskan Triangle? On average, five out of every 1,000 people go missing in Alaska, according to the LA Times. Now, I read this statistic and I was like, wow, that's crazy. I need to like look into this further. Because so, Grace has been to Alaska, in case you didn't know. Yeah. Um, I love Alaska. <laughs> Shout out to Alaska. Very cool state. Except for people go missing. Okay, so since record keeping in 1988, 60,700 people have been reported missing in Alaska. That's five people reported missing every year per 1,000 residents. Each year, an average of 2,250 people disappear in Alaska. It's twice the national average. Now, this maybe could be explained by it's very easy to get lost in the Alaskan wilderness. I mean... It's right. tough out there. But the Clinkit tribe that lives in Juneau has their own explanation for the high number of missing people. Um, they blame it on the evil spirits called Kushtaka. So the Kushtaka are shapeshifters, half man, half otter, that lure women and children to water with fake cries in order to steal their human spirit and drown them. Ooh, we've talked about evil water spirits before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Never be lured to water, people. No. Stay away. It. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, Arkansas has their own Bigfoot, and it is called the Boggy Creek Monster. He was first spotted in 1834. He's commonly accepted to be around seven or eight feet tall, covered in hair, and a Pisces. And legend says that he roams the creeks of rural Arkansas. You got the Bobby... The, what is it called? <laughs> the Boggy... <laughs> the Boggy Creek Monster. <laughs> Bobby! Bobby Creek Monster. The Boggy Crick Monster. The crick yes. down by the crick down by the bay. Well, I had to do our home. Sorry, I had to do our home states as well. So this is New Jersey, mm. and their legend is the Jersey Devil. 
It's true. So, you know, since the 1700s, the legend states that a woman named Mother Leeds became pregnant with her 13th child and for some reason said, quote, let this one be the devil. And once the child was born, it grew hooves, wings, horns, and a tail. And the monster has been spotted periodically throughout history in the Pine Barrens region of New Jersey. And the state has embraced the legend so much that they named their top hockey team after it. So it's true. Also, good sense of humor. the Pine Barrens is like close to where I grew up. And it's one of those things as a teenager, it's like, don't go driving in the Pine Barrens at night, blah, blah, blah. Um, Last podcast on the left has an insanely good one-off episode about the Jersey Devil. It is one of the funniest episodes they've ever done. Uh, Would recommend it. Uh, Benny Franks actually makes an appearance. Of course he does. He's everywhere. (laughs) That man had nothing i mean he had connections nothing but time too he could dabble in everything he wanted to maybe benny franks released the the alligators into the the sewer who knows maybe the jersey devil grew up and became benny franks Ooh, okay i love that so for him. florida has spook hill this is pretty weak i'm sure florida has way other <laughs> crazier things but apparently there's a hill that if cars are parked on in neutral they will start rolling uphill Legends say the hill is either the site of a Native American burial ground or a battle of a Native American chief against a crocodile. Sounds very Florida. Okay. But the truth is it's actually just an illusion created by the hills surrounding. So while cars appear to be rolling uphill, they are still just rolling downhill. Ooh. Boo. Interesting. I mean, you guys have the Fountain of Youth, so what else do you want? True. Okay, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Ooh. In Philadelphia, there's rumored to be a bus that doesn't have an end destination. The story says that the bus only picks up passengers that are at their lowest moments who need to get away from their problems. Once the passengers, once the passenger is ready to face the world, they can get off the bus. But the passenger has no idea how long they've been on the bus for. It could be hours, days, or even years. I've never heard that, and I grew up right outside of Philly. That's so eerie. I kind of love that. I do too. Make a great movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then lastly is one I think we should go to because it's in our neighboring state of Indiana. Indiana, in, crossroads of America. In a city called Brazil, Indiana. Mm-hmm. Imagine being like, yeah, I'm from Brazil. No, Brazil, <laughs> Indiana. <laughs> right. Um, this is the 100 Steps Cemetery. So the legend states that if someone finds themselves in the cemetery at midnight, they must climb climb the steps and count to 100. There's 100 steps. At this point, a ghost of an undertaker will appear and show the person a vision of their death. On the way back down, the visitor is supposed to count the steps again. And if they count the same amount of steps, the vision was false. So basically, if like one more step gets added, then that means that the vision was real and that is how you're going to die. People who have visited the cemetery in the past have tried to outsmart the supernatural forces in 100 steps by avoiding the steps altogether, and they've reported being knocked down or shoved to the ground by an unseen force. Let's go. I'm actually really scared, but let's go. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I just feel like you're not allowed to be in a cemetery at night. But maybe rules are different in Brazil, Indiana. I don't know. (laughs) You don't have to serve gay people over there, so. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Gotta love it. Uh, well, we'll let you know if we ever go. Yeah, we'll film it. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to be in like a Ghost Hunters TV show. I will only film us in Brazil, Indiana at 100 steps if I can wear my platform Crocs. You can, but you know you're going to trip. There's not <laughs> enough ankle support. Right. I'll, I'll wear my Crocs with like my 10 million gibbets. <laughs> 
oh my god, I just can't possibly get to the top. Yeah, no. We'll have a I lot of fun. I lost a gibbet on step 57. I have to go back. I have to. Uh, if you would like to follow along on our journey to Brazil, Indiana. Cool. Thank Sponsored you. by Crocs. Sponsored by Crocs. Seriously. Sponsor us. Um, cool. Is that it? That's it. Yeah, that's it. I loved it. That's scary. I love the that Benny Franks did make an appearance. Um, I guess we'll move on. Your turn. My topic comes from the Sunday New York Times, April 25th by Jeremy Newton. A hundred down. Sandwich supposedly named after low-income New Orleans workers. Po'boys. Po'boy. Talking about po'boys today. Mm, you're gonna make me hungry. Yes, I have dinner waiting. I'm starving. Very excited. But the difficulty about doing this topic is I'm a recent vegetarian. Mm-hmm. And I just kept thinking about fried shrimp all goddamn day. And I literally cannot stop thinking about fried shrimp. So, and then Matt was like, well, we're ordering halal, guys. You can pretend that the falafel is a fried shrimp. And I was like, I will not debase myself. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so let's talk about po'boys. Okay. So a po'boy is one of those classic Louisiana dishes that, Everybody wants to try the first time they visit New Orleans, right? It's up there mm-hmm. with gumbo, crawdads, etouffee, beignets. Grace actually talked a little bit about New Orleans food history, sort of, um, when she talked about baked Alaska on episode 16. Throwback. Oh, my gosh. Don't go back there, everyone. It's called just... Culture Shock. It was a good episode, but it is one of those, like, just, you know, enter at your own risk. Yeah. Um, so, Yeah. First and foremost, a po'boy is a meat-filled sandwich served on New Orleans French bread. The meat inside can be pretty much anything, uh, but it's often served with roast beef, shrimp, crawfish, catfish, oyster, crab, etc. Have you ever had a po'boy? Yes, I have. Ooh, have you ever been to New Orleans and had a po'boy? Yes, that's where I had it. Okay. Tell me about your experience. What kind of po'boy did you have? I think I had the shrimp one, because I think that's the classic one, I believe. I had had it a couple times, actually. Mm, It's Um, so good, right? It's delish. I mean, you can't really go wrong. Normally, I'm not a huge fan of seafood on a sandwich, but Mm. shrimp and lobster I could make an exception for. Mm, mm -hmm. My boyfriend's brother lived in New Orleans for a very long time, and we got to visit. We stayed with him for a week, um, and there was this convenience store on st charles avenue that he took us to and in the back was like a little deli counter and this woman just making po'boys all day and Mm -hmm. we got to eat the catfish po'boys from there oh my god so good i'm dreaming i'm like salivating here as i'm talking to you about it well Um, you always have the memories i will thanks for the memories doesn't make up for the fact that I'm a vegetarian now. So how do you make a po'boy? The traditional fillings are roast beef, baked ham, fried shrimp, fried crawfish, fried catfish, Louisiana hot sausage, French fries. Yes, there's a potato version. Fried chicken, alligator, duck, boudin, which is like a blood sausage, and rabbit. Hmm. Okay. The bread that's used is a local style of New Orleans French bread. It's made with less flour and more water than like a traditional baguette, which means that the dough is subsequently wetter 
and produces a lighter and fluffier bread. According to Wikipedia, so take this with a grain of salt, but according to Wikipedia, the tech, this technique of making this New Orleans French bread was developed in the 1700s in the Gulf South because the humid climate was bad for growing wheat. So most of the wheat had to be imported to the area, which means that there was less available wheat. So you had to use less wheat to make your bread. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. It tastes so good. It worked out for them, I guess. Tastes so good. And so Grace said a little bit ago that shrimp was the, tradi- the traditional po' boy, right? Wrong. Wrong. It's okay. I thought that too. And I think it's probably the most popular because it tastes the frickin' best. Honestly, mm-hmm. fried shrimp with all the fixings. Like, hello. Yes. But the traditional, you know, original po' boy is called the Nola, quote, sloppy roast beef po' boy. Gotta love it. It's I'm not still- a big roast beef person, so yeah, it makes sense I would have gotten that. And I'm also just not a fan of sloppy roast beef. You know, like if you're if you're going to try and sell me on roast beef, if you put sloppy in front of it, like anything with sloppy in front of it, like for food, is an immediate turnoff. Like sloppy joe, that is no. truly, my stomach is turning. I like sloppy joe. <gasps> oh, grace. Oh, grace. It's Sorry. a texture thing for me. Um, and also sloppy. I just can't. Anyway, I'm moving on. So yeah, a sloppy roast beef po' boy is filled with thick cuts of beef and served with gravy. You might also see a version where the sandwich is dipped into the gravy au jus style. Roast beef style po' boys are often served with debris, spelled like debris, but pronounced Mm -hmm. debris, uh, which is basically bits of meat that fell off during cooking and are rendered into like a near gravy consistency. Ooh. Which actually... Actually, Megan, okay. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Yes. Outside of the roast beef po' boy tradition, we're going to get to, like, the, like, other po' boys, right? Mm-hmm. A dressed po' boy is topped with lettuce, tomato, pickles, and mayo. So anything outside of roast beef, if you, like, go to, like, a deli counter and you're like, I want a dressed po' boy, and it's, like, catfish, it will come with, you know, lettuce, tomato, pickles, and mayo. Cool. Fried seafood po' boys might also be served with melted butter. Okay. Good. Non-seafood po' boys may be served with Creole mustard. And Creole mustard is similar to a French Dijon mustard, but there's a small difference. It's made with brown mustard seeds, and they're marinated in vinegar, horseradish, and other spices, which is different than like a French Dijon, which the seeds are just marinated in white wine. Mm -hmm. Uh, And... Like a Creole mustard is spicier, coarser. It's like a French Dijon. They kind of grind up the mustard seeds. But in a Creole mustard, they kind of leave it a little coarser. So it's a little spicier. Um, And then after the Great Depression, it became normal to have cheese on your po' boy as well. Hmm. I don't know if I would put cheese on it. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking. I don't know if it needs the cheese. I mean, and I love cheese. Don't get me wrong. Don't but. get me wrong. But I think feel like just give me the, the fried catfish and the mayo and all the yeah. fixins, you know? Anyway, as the crossword clue suggests, the po' boy has an interesting and scrappy history. Uh, and so I wanted to do like a little deep dive into it. How did the po' boy come to be? There are many, many stories and like accounts and like variations on this tale i'm about to tell you and i'm sure if you go to louisiana and you talk to 
any of the locals or you go to any restaurant that's been around for a while, they may tell you their own version of who invented the po' boy. Mm -hmm. But this is the most widely accepted version of the story. It is told that the sandwich was invented in the 1920s by two brothers, Clovis and Benjamin Martin. So Clovis and Benjamin were not New Orleans natives. They grew up in a place called Raceland, Louisiana, and they only moved to New Orleans in the mid-1910s, and they worked as streetcar operators. And if you don't know, New Orleans is known for their streetcars. They currently have four streetcar lines, the most famous being the one on St. Charles Avenue. They use historic streetcars. It's beautiful. It's fun. Check it out. Back to Poe Boys. So like I said, the Martin brothers moved to New Orleans in the 1910s. They became streetcar operators. They eventually decide to retire from operating streetcars, and they open a restaurant on St. Claude Avenue called French Market Restaurant and Coffee Stand in 1922. So then fast forward to 1929. The New Orleans streetcar motormen and conductors go on strike. Why does this matter? I'll tell you why it matters. Tell me. Because 1,100 jobs... And the survival of the streetcar union was in question. The union was essentially battling the management of the streetcar, mm -hmm. whoever it was that managed the streetcars, about who was going to be controlling the workforce, right? And this is kind of coinciding with a lot of union and like labor strikes that were happening in the United States at the time. This one is a big one. It turned violent. There are weeks where the strikers were just blocking the cable cars, the streetcars from actually running because the management company was bringing in strike breakers from New York to operate the cars. It was a whole big thing. Mm -hmm. And so local businesses were like rushing to support the union members who were on strike. And the Martin brothers were among those businesses trying to support the, the strikers. They wrote a letter of support and in it, they declared, quote, our meal is free to any members of division 194 we are with you till hell freezes, and when it does, we will furnish blankets to keep you warm. Oh, there you go. How nice, right? But how were the Martin brothers going to provide meals to a hundred, to eleven hundred workers and their families? It all starts with bread, baby. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the brothers worked with their bread supplier, a guy named John Ganduza, and they created their own loaf of bread that would be ideal for making several large sandwiches. Up until this point, most sandwiches in New Orleans were being made with a traditional short baguette, uh, which is kind of bulged in the center and tapered at the ends. This mm -hmm. new loaf, however, was 40 inches long Ooh, yeah. and a uniform shape throughout. Okay. I love to see it. No tapered we, here. No hook. <laughs> no. Um, anyway, so yeah, you have this big 40-inch loaf. They would cut the ends off of those loaf, and they would use those ends for other dishes, you know, to, like, sop up gravy or serve it on the table, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and then they would use the rest of the loaf to feed families, the striking families, an inexpensive sandwich consisting of gravy and spare bits of roast beef. They'd serve the sandwich to the strikers and unemployed workers from the back of their restaurant. And the story goes, when a worker arrived to get a sandwich, the kitchen staff would shout, here comes another poor boy. And the name transferred to the sandwich, and over time, it was shortened to Poe Boy. So you'd be getting, like, a family sandwich? Right. You get a 40-incher. You, you show up to the back of the restaurant. You're like, hey. And they're like, hey, poor boy. And they slap the sandwich on your, your wrists. And then you mm -hmm. waddle home 
to your wife and kids. And you all eat off of it at the same time, I assume. Exactly. Just you kind of like like at a like a trough, you know. Like a candle that burns at both ends. <laughs> <laughs> yes, fact factual. But okay, just hold on a second. It's never that simple. No. Okay? It's never that simple. I found an article on nola.com. And I hope I'm not pissing off anybody from New Orleans here, but whatever. Mm. This is on neworleans.com. And it's by a guy named James Karst. And James Karst suggests that the Martin Brothers story is in some ways probably a fabrication. He argues that the po' boy or some version or precursor to the now famous sandwich existed in New Orleans long before the Martin Brothers even moved there from Raceland. Mm. Interesting. Okay, so what's the deal? Karst suggests that the story of the brothers being there during a critical moment of the streetcar strike and inventing this sandwich for strikers didn't actually appear until 1969 when it was published in a New Orleans newspaper, which was 40 years after the strike. So Mm -hmm. what the hell? He found more evidence that the brothers had actually been cooking a po'boy or some version of the sandwich at one of their restaurants long before the strike even happened. So if they invented it, they didn't invent it for the strikers. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the evidence comes from an article published in a New Orleans newspaper called The New Orleans States in 1933. The states documented the history of the brothers and their various restaurants and said that the brothers were selling, quote, sandwiches of half a loaf of French bread generously filled with whatever one desired from roast beef to oysters, end quote, long before they opened their store in the French market where they were located during the 1929 strike. So they've been selling the sandwich for years before the strike even happened. So it suggests, like I said, that they were selling the sandwich before the strike happened, right? So mm-hmm. what's But it makes deal? a better story if they invented it for the strike. It does. In the same article, Karst talks about a jazz legend, Sidney Bechet. Sidney Bechet wrote about the po'boy sandwich in his autobiography, which he published in the 60s. Bechet talks about his collaboration with an up-and-coming cornet player named Louis Armstrong and how they played together in the 1910s. After one of their shows, Bechet, Armstrong, and their drummer, Little Mac, quote, went out and bought some beer with the money and got those sandwiches, poor boys, they're called, a half a loaf of bread split open and stuffed with ham. We really had good times, end quote. So poor boys were around in the 1910s? It's possible that Bechet learned about the sandwich name later and embellished the story. I mean, his autobiography was published in the 60s, right? Mm-hmm. But Karst says that after Bechet moved away from Nola in 1917, so he moved away in 1917 before the strike even happened, mm. Bechet rarely ever returned to New Orleans. He, was, he went back for like 10 days in 1944 and another night in 1945. So it's not like he was connected to New Orleans culture. That's suspicious. That's weird. Uh, so did Bechet and Armstrong really eat poor boys together in the 1910s? Literally, I have no idea. I'm just putting out facts for y'all. You all can make mm-hmm. your own decisions. Also, I have to, I would be, I have to, I have to also include that lunch stands in New Orleans have been serving sandwiches very similar to poor boys long before the po' boy name became famous. The oyster sandwich, for example, was being sold in 1917 at a place called Commas Soda Fountain on Common Street. They ran an ad for their sandwich. The ad reads as, quote, 
four delicious fried oysters in a toasted buttered French loaf with a piece of pickle wrapped in sanitary wax paper, sealed bag for 10 cents. End quote. And the oyster sandwich was being sold in New Orleans as early as 1851. There's a place called Sam's Saloon on St. Charles Avenue, uh, and there was a write-up about this place in a newspaper called the Daily Picayune in 1851 about the sandwich. Here it is, quote, A big loaf of bread is dug out, reserving a crust as a stop. Any quantity of delicious fried or broiled oysters is piled in, the top is neatly put on, and a gentleman can carry his loaf home. <laughs> End quote. That is a convenient way to carry oysters. It's a great way to carry your oysters. Just get mm-hmm. a huge loaf, dig out the center, and take it home to wifey and kids. Or husband and kids. Or husband and kids. Or whatever's in kids, right? Or no kids. Take it home to your dog. Your cat. Your lizard. Your alligator. Your, your baby alligator that you know you shouldn't have bought. You know it. It is cute. You know it. Just go to the zoo if you're really dying to see an alligator. Do you live in New Orleans? Just go outside your front door, am I right? <laughs> I actually went on like an alligator tour when I was in New Orleans. And at the time, well, I got sunburned and I hated it. And it was too sunny. And I fell asleep in the car because I was sun tired. Um, but they throw marshmallows at those poor things and they eat them. Yeah, I know. I went on an alligator tour too. And the person I was with was like in awe. And I was like, Eon, been there, done that. I'm from Florida. And this is like not anything <laughs> alligators are like possums not saying that they're like running rampant on the streets but you know right have you seen an alligator in person like in the wild in miami not like walking on the street although there have been some like that like the climatic canals but there is um this it's called alligator alley and it's like a bike path and there's just alligators chilling but anyone can like kids you can like ride your bike down it they don't really attack um they have a bad pr team yeah no we got to get them in contact with the ogre pr team yeah well all right well be careful out there with your alligators (laughs) anyway so i didn't really clear anything up with the po'boy situation what i do want to say is that the martin brothers were integral to the popularization of the po'boy okay Mm -hmm. and i'm really grateful for them for that because it's a delicious sandwich and if I could, I would eat one right freaking now. Um, did they really invent the po'boy? Did they just happen to be in the right place at the right time? Were they master marketers? Do they have their own really good PR team? I'm not sure if it really matters. But like I said, what matters is that the sandwich has persisted to this day. Amen. And that's that's what I have to say on po'boy. So amen and God bless. Ugh, I really want a po' boy, but I'm having tacos tonight. So, Ooh. Um, yum. That's that, I guess. That's that. You're having tacos. I'm having falafel in, in lieu of fried shrimp. Well, I can't complain, let us, really. Let us know what you're having for dinner, listeners. You can find us on Twitter at The Good Eve Girls. Or Instagram at The Good Evening Girls. Or TikTok at The Good Eve Girls. Until next time. Until next time. See you later, alligator. Ooh, in a while, crocodile. Bye. I had to say that. Although I'll probably make that the, the title of this episode. But ooh, I love it though. This is where it was born, everyone. See you later. Bye. Bye.